You're listening to Wiley Connected, a series of podcasts on tech, law, and policy. In each podcast, technology-focused lawyers at Wiley, a Washington, D.C. law firm, break down innovation and law with a uniquely D.C. perspective. So welcome to another Wiley Connected podcast. My name is Addison Barnes. I'm here with David Westlow. Today on our podcast, we're going to cover cyber squatting, current trends and tools to address internet and digital scams. Although cyber squatting is technically the registration, use, or trafficking of a domain name with bad faith intent to profit, today we're going to use the term more broadly to refer to all different types of scams based on misuse of a company's trademarks or trade names. Recent data from the Federal Trade Commission indicates that Business impersonation scams, which are all generally based on misuse of a trademark or trade name, have increased an alarming 85% year over year since the beginning of the pandemic, with $2 billion in total losses to businesses between October 2020 and September 2021. Add on top of that recent studies showing that over 95% of the 500 most popular websites on the internet are subject to impersonation through fake websites, often through typo squatting, and the scope of the problem becomes more clear. So whether we were talking about traditional cyber squatting or phishing or email scams, robocalls, distribution of malware, botnets, or other types of scams, they will all continue to grow. And today we're going to talk about tools and legal claims for addressing all of these types of scams. First, a brief introduction of the two of us. I am a partner here at Wiley Ryan. I've been working at Wiley Ryan for a little over 20 years. I handle uh, ACPA cases, and as a matter of fact, I've handled them since the dawn of the ACPA over two decades ago. I believe I handled the first trial of an ACPA case. David and I have been working together for 10 or more years. I think we have more filings in the Eastern District of Virginia than any others. We've handled hundreds of domain names, returns, and the complications that come along with the usurpation of of domain names. David, you want to say a few words about yourself? Sure. I'm David Westlow. I'm a partner in the intellectual property practice here at Wiley. As Addison mentioned, two of us have worked together for over 10 years in pursuing cyber scouting claims. My background before becoming an attorney was in software and web development, And I regularly help clients deal with the use and misuse of their intellectual property online, including using IP claims to combat and mitigate all types of internet scams. So David, maybe we ought to start off by talking a little bit more in depth about why this topic is important to companies and individuals. Sure. And as some of the statistics show that I mentioned at the outset, the prevalence of the internet and digital technologies to modern life shows that this is an area that's ripe for scammers. And unfortunately, where there's money to be made, there will be entrepreneurs from around the world who invoke company brands, company trade names to try to confuse and deceive consumers for the purpose of gaining access to their accounts or gaining control of their computer or gaining ad revenue from ads that are displayed to consumers or selling them something. This is the modern version often of the switch, the bait and switch type of scam. So as the FTC study noted, 
particularly in over the last two years with the pandemic, these types of scams have unfortunately really continued to grow. And I think we've seen lots of different iterations of these types of scams, whether the sale of counterfeit pharmaceuticals or counterfeit luxury goods or bank impersonation scams, distribution of malware or computer viruses or things called bloatware, where software is downloaded to the user's computer unsuspectingly to display advertisements. You name it, there are all sorts of scams out there that share the common feature of misusing a company's name, its brands, or its copyright-protected content, all for the purpose of deceiving consumers. It does appear that the number of fraud schemes and the sophistication of those schemes have increased dramatically. Uh, We've talked over the years about the parade of horribles that arises when these scammers attack in multiple different ways. I think what might be helpful is just to talk a little bit about the types of matters we've seen. We've certainly seen the the typical cyber squatting or typo squatting cases where we take action if we need to after a cease and desist letter or a transfer letter. A lot of these cases are filed in the Eastern District of Virginia, mostly because that's where the registry verisign has been over the years. That court has, in essence, developed a large part of the practice. I think probably one of the most troubling areas for the court has been how do they deal with the issue of not knowing who the identity of the scammers are and the development of the in-rem process for trying to go and and get back an owner's intellectual property and and name. Do you want to talk about how those matters under the ACPA come about? Sure. I guess starting with the origins of the statute in the 1990s when the Internet began to become more popular and to be used more by consumers and corporations. The problem of cyber squatting, which is the use of a domain name that's related to a company trademark or trade name, um, courts began to see cases involving inappropriate uses of domain names, and the courts struggled with trying to find the, the right way to address these types of issues. Congress took notice and passed in 1999 the Federal Anti-Cybersquatting Consumer Protection Act, providing a new cause of action separate and apart from existing IP claims like trademark infringement, trademark counterfeiting, or dilution. And the statute is intended to address the use, registration, or trafficking of domain names with bad faith intent to profit. And courts since that time interpreting the statute have agreed that it really is a different type of cause of action. There are different purposes, different remedies than traditional trademark claims like infringement and dilution. And Addison, as you're mentioning, one of the big problems is domain names that are registered by someone outside of the United States or someone that cannot be identified. And more recently, domain names that are registered where the record owner is being concealed by a service provider. So part of the statute was designed to address this problem and to provide companies with a means for either shutting down the domain name or acquiring a transfer of the domain name. And that's the in-rem mechanism that allows the domain name itself to be sued 
in the judicial district, the federal district where the domain registry or the registrar is located. Madison, as you mentioned, for the vast majority of domain names, or at least the traditional domain names like .com, .net, and .org, those registries are based in Northern Virginia. So the vast majority of these types of cases are filed in the Eastern District of Virginia, where the court can issue an order directed to the domain name registry for the transfer of those domain names. Those types of court orders have the benefit of bypassing the domain name registrar. So whether or not the registrar is based in the United States, the registry is based in the United States, it can be subjected to an order from this particular court transferring the domain name. So we've previously talked about since the development of the ACPA, and and it all started back in, I think it was 1999. Actually, the Porsche case, which was one of the first cases that tried the in-rem mechanism, was prior to the ACPA. And while that case was on appeal after it was dismissed on a trademark dilution claim, the Congress enacted the ACPA. And since that time, the ACPA has been used to handle stolen domain name recoveries and other types of actions that we have seen in the last 20 years, whether it's to counterfeit product, whether it's to essentially take over a client's business or email, whether it's to hold up the client for a ransom of the name, whether it's by a former employee who wants to retaliate against the employer by trying to steal the business and the email traffic of the business. David, it might make sense if we move to what types of relief we have obtained. And in those types of cases where we have, uh, as you say, an international defendant, what are the remedies that we have? And if we handle cases based on an in-rem jurisdiction, are there other types of injunctions that we can obtain to stop those acting in concert? With a, with a scammer in order to avoid future action or facilitation by those, those other entities. Right. So the trade-off in filing an in-rem ACPA action is that the remedies are limited to either the cessation of use of the domain name or a transfer of the domain name to the plaintiff in that case. Sometimes that's the only remedy that's needed and that can be sufficient. Now, the in-rem portions of the statute indicate that pursuing an in-rem claim under the ACPA does not preclude the plaintiff from pursuing other available claims and relief under other statutes. So sometimes an ACPA in-rem claim can be coupled with a claim against a John Doe, for example, for copyright infringement, where a website has been copied or where advertising material has been copied. So in that type of a case, there can be additional relief under the Copyright Act, which could be statutory damages, actual damages, or even injunctive relief of the type I think you were referring to, Addison, which could be directed to service providers who are in active concert or participation with the defendant. That could include web hosts, payment service providers, companies like that, whose services are being used by the defendant to further their scam. Now, if the defendant is identifiable or in the United States and subject to personal jurisdiction in the United States, then an in-rem claim is not available, in which case that defendant can be sued for an in-personum claim under the ACPA, which would provide the same injunctive relief 
as a potential remedy, the transfer of the domain name, and also potentially statutory damages of up to $100,000 per domain name that's been cyber squatted. Now, these types of cases, as we mentioned, are most typically brought in the Eastern District of Virginia, which can be a real advantage. And Addison, maybe I'll turn it back over to you to talk about why this court is unique and your experience in that court in these types of cases and others as well. So the it is a special place, but I'm a little biased. I clerked there and I served as the president of that bar. One of the reasons why the Eastern District of Virginia is such a special court for these types of cases, it follows up on the comment you made about the registries residing in the Eastern District of Virginia. But it's also a receptive bench. The, the judges in that court have seen a number of these cases. They are complex and unique almost in every respect because the scammers learn from prior mistakes, I would say. And the judges in the court have, in, on occasion when necessary, uh, granted injunctions sometimes with a preliminary injunction hearing. We had a case on behalf of a client whose materials had not only been compromised, but pornographic material had been placed on the site. And of course, it's important for a company's business to take down those that pornographic material. And the judges understand that. And in a very short order, as everyone may know, the Eastern District of Virginia is also known as the rocket dock. And so you can get a quick hearing there. And in other cases where there's been a substantial business interruption, perhaps by ransom demands, and if, if the deadline is not met, then the, the company may suffer dramatically. We've also been able to get temporary restraining orders and injunctions in that way. So it is a, a court that is willing to help in these situations, but also one that is very familiar with these types of issues. But David, do you want to talk about uh, trends? What you see in your crystal ball as to what's coming next for cyber squatting and related issues? Sure. So if we think back or turn back the clock to after the statute was initially enacted, at the same time, ICANN, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, promulgated the UDRP, that's the Uniform Domain Name Dispute Resolution Policy, that is a policy that's incorporated by contract into all domain name registrations. That came into place around the same time, and the UDRP existed as a, another mechanism alongside to the ACPA for, for many years. And in many cases, particularly where the problematic use of the domain name was not as you know, horrific as the pornographic example that Addison that you gave or the email compromise or where the use of the domain name was an infringement and was a problem, but not so bad that it needed to be addressed through a, a quick court action. The UDRP provided a useful vehicle and, and still does in certain cases for obtaining the transfer of domain names. In many of the ACPA cases for, let's say, the first 10 years under the statute were very similar to UDRP proceedings and that they addressed misuse of domain names in association with things like fake websites or websites with pay-per-click ads or things that I would characterize as more of an annoyance as opposed to you know the more problematic uses that we have seen in the second 10 years under the ACPA. And in the last 10 years, I think we've seen a lot more misuse of domain names for things like 
phishing, so trying to obtain consumers' personal information or financial information, or business impersonation scams, so websites or emails that are sent out appearing to be on behalf of a particular business for the purpose of defrauding consumers, or use of domain names to download viruses that cause problems on computers or take over the computers or turn them into a a botnet, things like that. And as the internet scammers out there have become more sophisticated in their misuse of domain names, ACPA in those cases has become an indispensable tool that in many circumstances is, is better suited for addressing these types of problems than the UDRP because of the additional remedies that are available under the statute, as we talked about, court orders directed to service providers whose services are being used by the defendants, potential monetary damages, things of that nature, as well as particularly in light of the speed of the primary court here, the Eastern District of Virginia that you discussed, Addison, court orders can be obtained much more quickly than the typical two to three months that it would take for a UDRP proceeding. So looking at the crystal ball of what we'll see, I think we'll continue to see um, online scammers or those that would otherwise misuse trademarks and trade names becoming increasingly sophisticated and adapting their scams, although continuing to use trademarks and trade names because those are often sort of the bait or the victims or the way they lure them in, the ACPA can be a really powerful tool for addressing those scams and often when coupled with other claims, including things like computer fraud or conversion related to intangible assets or copyright infringement or trademark counterfeiting. And the fact of the matter is that companies and organizations of all type are victims and will continue to be victims Our view is that organizations need to prioritize these types of issues that are out there and deprioritize taking action against the mere annoyances that may still be infringements and may still be troubling, but which don't rise to the level of the real serious potential harm to consumers and to the company's goodwill. David, you mentioned in personam jurisdiction versus the in rem jurisdiction, in rem being when you go after the property, the domain name itself. When we try to go after individuals, one thing the court has been receptive to is expedited discovery, trying to find the individuals who may be behind these scams, uh, whether it's a former employee, whether it's somebody in a foreign country. But as an element of an in-rem action, we need to establish that we have tried, at least diligently, to find the person responsible for the action and therefore If we do believe that we could find someone who is responsible and the court does grant the motion for expedited discovery, we can then serve subpoenas to Google, to some other entity, some of the uh, where the domain names were first registered, to see if we can find information, whether it's uh, payment accounts, whether it's information that they submitted to the registrars. And therefore, we have the ability if we can't find them, to say to the court that we made a diligent effort. But if we can, that then subjects the individual registrant to the jurisdiction of the court. David, I thought I would also ask, how do these matters come about? 
Do you typically see these come up in many different ways or is it always the same? Yeah, it really depends. As I think you mentioned, often we're engaged to monitor for infringements, to send cease and desist letters, and to help clients understand when it makes sense to file the action. In other instances, we're engaged on an emergency basis when there's a real problem. You mentioned, Addison, the case we had a few years ago where a company's corporate domain name account was hacked and the domain name, which was the primary domain name for the company that was used for all email for the company, it was held for ransom by a bad actor from based outside of the United States and a significant ransom demand was made that the hacker requested be made in Bitcoin you know, within 48 hours or else they would pull the plug on the entire corporate website and all email. And to show they were serious, they sent the CEO of the company you know, certain confidential information that they were able to access by virtue of having taken control of the account and the domain name. And so in that case, we were hired on an emergency basis. Over a weekend, if I recall, prepared the lawsuit under the ACPA and related claims for computer hacking and things of that nature, and went into the court on the Monday morning with an emergency request for TRO that was actually granted that day, ordering the domain name returned to the client and we actually effectuated that a couple hours before the ransom deadline. So that's not unusual. We've had a few of those where a particular problem comes to light to the client and it's bad enough that the situation needs you know, an emergency court action to shut it down. And given the number of these cases we've handled, we've seen those before. I think the court has seen us before on many of those cases. So we've are often you know, ready and, and able to move quickly to try and shut those down. And it does happen fairly frequently that someone has seen what we've done and looked at the cases that have been filed in the Eastern District to realize how many cases we've handled there. And it's always nice when other lawyers call us to make sure their clients are satisfied with that they're going to get the best relief possible. Let's talk a second about those cases where we've been able to obtain judgments, either statutory damages or otherwise. Any of those cases come to mind, David? Yeah, we've had a few, right, over the years where either we've coupled an ACPA in-rem claim with copyright claims or computer fraud claims, or where at the beginning of the case it was an ACPA in-rem case we pursued the discovery you alluded to and that we were ultimately able to identify a defendant and converted to an in personam case. The uh, case from Mont Blanc comes to mind, Addison, where we ultimately identified the person who was behind the scam. And this was a an operation selling counterfeit Mont Blanc products through domain names, through social media accounts, through um, all sorts of online channels. We ultimately found the person who was behind it through issuing a series of subpoenas to technical service providers and connecting the, the digital breadcrumbs. And we found the person and then pursued statutory damages and obtained a court award in that case of $32 million for trademark counterfeiting and copyright infringement. 
And in those situations where an individual is abroad, I believe in that case, we ended up transferring the judgment, docketing the judgment in a foreign country so that we could do our best to collect for the client. Do you see any other complications that may arise in the future? I know it's very hard to look at your crystal ball to see how the next scammers are going to be trying to get around the laws, but do you see any further complications and perhaps how those can be solved going forward? Yeah, it's a good question, Addison. I know we always joke that we've seen every type of scam out there until the next Monday morning when we hear from a client <laughs> and there's there's a new scam. It's Unfortunately, it's just the world we live in that because there's money to be made, there are people out there who will try and exploit consumers, exploit companies and their brand names to try and take advantage of people. In terms of what we'll see next, I think we'll continue to see, particularly in growing industries or new industries, you know, cryptocurrency comes to mind. We've handled a number of business impersonation scams in the cryptocurrency space. Financial services companies are often targets for these types of scams where people are trying to impersonate the financial institution to take advantage of their consumers. In that space, we've seen an increased focus by regulators here in Washington, looking at financial institutions and trying to ascertain whether they think the institution has done enough to protect consumers. So I think that's a big area where there will be increased focus on whether or not those types of organizations are doing enough to protect consumers. Obviously, e-commerce continues to grow. We all shop online, so I think we'll continue to see fake websites or websites selling counterfeit products continue to pop up. We've seen things like robocalls and where the misuse of a company's brand is used in a robocall to try and sell consumers something that may not have been what they thought it was. Yeah, and we're, we've just been engaged by Marriott to file one of those cases in court, and uh, we're in the process of taking that one forward. And you're right, to the extent that a company's brand is being affected by millions and millions of robocalls, whether or not they're pre-recorded messages or the brand is being used or misused to generate business elsewhere could be a, an even bigger problem than it's already been. I know we all get robocalls or unwanted calls and it's not only the interference of the call, but it's also the effect on the business because those businesses end up getting complaints by their own customers or by those who aren't customers. I think it's also important to point out that over the years, we've represented not only companies, but individuals as well. Individuals do suffer from all of this behavior that we've talked about. You and I have just taken on representation of a of an author whose work was put out on a certain website, and now that website has been hacked and misused, so we're doing our best to assist the individual to get control of the domain name again. So whether you're an individual or a company, these are troubling issues, and we have to be nimble in the way we handle these matters because, as you say, we never know where the next scammer or the next scam is coming from. Yeah, that's right. And that's a, a great point. We talked about the case where the corporate domain name was hacked and held for ransom, but certainly we've had cases like the one you just mentioned where it, there's an individual owner of the domain name. And in that case, the domain name was being used by the author to promote and sell her books 
We've also had cases where the domain names themselves are the asset or the class of intellectual property and where that asset is very valuable and is hacked and stolen. And we've pursued claims and obtained wow, many dozens of stolen domain names being returned by the court, right, for corporations as well as individual owners. Mm-hmm. And in another where we were representing an individual who was a, a news personality whose name was being used to sell, I think it was dietary supplements. So it does have an effect on individuals, even if they work for a company. And those are obviously just as troubling as a large corporation that may, its name may be tarnished by pornographic material or, or other content being displayed on the site. Yeah, you're right. And that's an interesting phenomenon, right? When a famous person or someone who may, you know, come to the attention of the public or becomes famous, whether a news reporter or an actor or other internet personality, and it seems that as soon as they become famous, very often there's there's a scam that's launched. And whether it's a scam, you know, purporting to be endorsed by that person to sell dietary supplements or skincare products or you name it, it, it seems that um, the types of people who are behind these scams know that they can either use a trademark or a company name to catch the attention of their would-be victims, or they can use the name of a, of a celebrity or even a politician or a news reporter for the same purpose of defrauding consumers, making them think that they've got some legitimacy so these types of claims that we're talking about can certainly be used there as well. I remember the days back 20 years ago where it seemed like it was very complicated when you had the .com and .net, or, and now there's been a proliferation of, of ways to scam, and we never imagined that it would be as complicated now. Uh, so I can only imagine what it's going to be over the next 20 years. Yeah, and that's who we've talked about, the cases shutting down or transferring .com, .net, .org, domain names. One of these cases, I believe we've used the court order to shut down over 300 .xyz domain names. So you're right, and there's everything out there from .xyz to .bank, .credit, .company. So there are all sorts of avenues, and you talked about remembering 20 years ago when it was much more straightforward and for organizations who were faced with all of the misuses of their brand names, I remember when it was just a couple, you know, a .com or a .net. Now you get that report and there may be 300 different misuses at a .xyz or a .whatever. We counsel clients to prioritize, right? You can't go after everything and we wouldn't advocate that the organization's entire legal budget be taken up by going after everything. It makes sense to prioritize and be ready to go after, unfortunately, the very the inevitable worst case, right, where you've got some really strong risks of harm to consumers or the brand. That's right. I guess when we start talking about how we can and how we have helped individuals and companies there are certainly some decisions that need to be made up front. And one of them is you can't go, you can't be everything to every domain name that might be uh, cyber squatted out there. How do you make that decision? Yeah, it's got to be a case by case 
decision-making process and also taking into consideration the industry, right? Because if you're a financial services company, if there's a domain name that corresponds closely to your brand, maybe it's not in use, but it is configured for email, that's a red flag that someone's about to use it for potentially for phishing purposes. If you're in a different industry, let's say you make athletic equipment, it may not matter to you that there's a domain name out there that looks similar but is not yet being used, and there's no indication that it's about to be used. You might just decide on your list you're going to deprioritize that one and monitor it so that you know in that space you could prioritize going after sites that are actually selling counterfeit footwear or counterfeit clothing or the real problematic uses and saving for another day the uses that are do not present you know real immediate harm to the brand or to consumers when we started off today we talked about the Porsche case that that got the in-rem action started and the ACPA was not in place at that time so 20 years ago the ACPA was put in place is it time for a, a legislative refresh are there options that legislators could pursue here to avoid this mass of, of litigation going to court to solve the problems that really can't be solved under the ACPA. Yeah, are there problems that are outside of the ACPA? Sure, things come to mind that we look at regularly, like registration of third-level domains, which would be something like barnes.wiley.com law. If it's the third level domain, it's not, strictly speaking, subject to the ACPA, only the second level domain name would be. So we've had cases like that where you have to default almost to the pre-ACPA world of claims, so trademark infringement, counterfeiting, dilution. In my mind, other than the way the statute was set up, there's no reason why a third level domain should not be covered by the ACPA. Other things that come to mind, like social media handles, are outside of the ACPA, but subject to trademark infringement or counterfeiting claims. I think certainly there are new types of problems, infringements that could be addressed by the statute. You know, whether or not the current Congress has any interest in taking on this issue, certainly it's hard to say. And I suppose the same would apply for robocall laws and what is the impetus? What will make legislators take action, make the laws tougher, uh, make the punishments tougher? But you would still have the jurisdictional limitations, those that are bad actors outside the country that we, we need to get more creative to make sure we bring them to justice. Right. What about law enforcement, David? Is that is that an option that We've talked about that a number of times. Is that something that you foresee as a, a viable solution for some of the problems out there? We've certainly worked with clients on making referrals to federal law enforcement at all different levels, including taking referrals to the Intellectual Property Rights Center in Arlington, Virginia, that has a representative of all of the federal law enforcement agencies. We've worked on direct referrals to particular agencies. We've worked on referrals to local law enforcement, even challenge for 
organizations that are the victim of these types of scams is it's really it's a resource issue, right? And law enforcement is tasked with doing lots of things. And unfortunately, sometimes things like a business impersonation scam just doesn't rise to the level that law enforcement's able to get involved. There are outlier cases, and we've had some where federal law enforcement actions have proceeded on a parallel track to our civil litigation and have ultimately led to you know, some meaningful steps to shut things down. I would say the vast majority of cases where we've made a, an enforcement, um, law enforcement officials typically will be very direct and say, you need to pursue your civil claims. We may be able to help, but it's going to be two years. And if you're looking at corporate website having been hacked and pornography being shown or someone has access to your email and all of your corporate trade secrets or is using your domain name to engage in phishing to steal all of your customers' personal information or financial information, two years isn't going to do it, right? You have no choice. That's right. And in other situations where we thought that law enforcement might be interested, you're right, the the resources just aren't there to pursue it. And you go back to the cross-border issues and what the limitations are for law enforcement to go after foreign bad actors. Right. Fortunately, much of the internet's infrastructure is still here, though, right? And a lot of the service providers. So in those situations, we've been able to obtain court orders that will effectively pull the plug on the scam or... And when you say here, you mean the Northern Virginia area? That's right. That's right. So the court order can go a long ways, if not completely eliminating the problem, to mitigating the problem by going to domain name registries, registrars, parties that are being used, you know, that have a contractual relationship with the defendants, with the scammers, those that are clearly in active concert or participation, web hosts, payment service providers. So David, we've worked together a long time. It's been a, an interesting ride. I have a feeling that it's going to be even a more interesting ride going forward with the complexity of the schemes that come forward. The fact that there's so much business being done online, even more so than there was 20 years ago, not only again for the companies, but for individuals. So I look forward to, to solving those issues with you. We seem to have had success so far, and I have every reason to believe we will be able to manage the complications going forward. So I enjoyed our time today. Thank you. I did as well. And these cases are interesting, right? For us, we enjoy figuring out a way to, to solve that problem. And coming in the next week and seeing the next scam and figuring out a way to be more strategic and smarter than the scammers and shutting them down. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Wiley Connected Podcast brought to you by the attorneys at Wiley. If you enjoyed this episode of Wiley Connected, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For additional resources and materials, head over to WileyConnect.com. Thank you for listening. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Wiley Ryan LLP and its employees. The material contained in this podcast is not intended to be and is not considered to be legal advice. Transmission is not intended to create 
and receipt does not establish an attorney-client relationship.